The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gabin, and this is your recap episode for this week's Houston Open. Joining me to break it all down, it's Greg Ducharme. Greg, hey, buddy. What's going on, Rick? Uh, first of all, I would like to say what a call. What a call by you with the with, with Jason Kokrak. I mean, tip of the cap to you, sir. Because I wasn't, I understand where you're coming from, um, but I didn't quite see it the way you did. I I was I was saying to you briefly off air. I don't I don't generally like to toot my own horn, but this this like eight week swing season, I've just been I've been all over it, and I I know it's gonna end soon because it never goes very long. Greg, golf is weird. Trying to handicap it is incredibly difficult. But yes, I I will accept it uh, in this moment. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> uh, it was brilliant, and you're watching it. It looks so obvious, but. Um, because you, you can just see why, why it would work out for him, why the golf course would fit his game really well. It, it, the hard thing to predict is the putting performance. I, I think he ended up in second in strokes game putting, um, it was right there in the top five anyway. And, and so for Jason Kokrak, that's a big hinge point for him. And it, this week it really worked out. So, um, incredibly impressive. And by the way, how often do you see a winner? with a 41 for one nine. That's the thing that strikes me. He, he made a triple. He shot a 41 and was able to win the tournament by two shots. Yeah. I want to, uh, I want to get into that, but I'm going to hold off for just one second because that is, that was a very interesting moment of his week. It was the completion of his round two on Saturday morning. We're going to get to that. Uh, we're going to go through the leaderboard. We're going to get to our best bets. We'll recap the one and done. We've seen some movement at the top here. Uh, and I believe we're waiting on Kyle Porter as well. So while we do that, Greg, uh, you and I, before we went hot, we were kind of talking about this golf course, Memorial Park. And when you see 10 under as the winning score, that's a little eye-popping on the PGA Tour because it's not often, uh, especially outside of major championships, that we're going to see something that low, that high. What is the proper terminology? That high or that low? Uh, that high. Um, that high. Okay. Well, you know, it, either. <laughs> I don't think either is – is if you're talking about total score, it's it's high. Um, right. You're talking about under par. It's um, it, also you high. Know that. What, yeah, I guess it's also <laughs> high. I guess it's also high. Either way, Memorial Park puts up a fight now for back-to-back uh, -back years. And we were kind of trying to figure out why this course is hard. So I'll just throw this at you. Like, why is this course hard? I, I think the length has a lot to do with it. Um, and you look at some of the most difficult holes for the week. Um, and I have I have round four up, but let's get to cumulative. So the first the very first hole, it's a 522-yard par four. That's that's not very easy. For the six hardest hole is a 490-yard par four. You continue on down the list, you got 14, it's a 530-yard par four. That was the hardest hole on the course for the week. Um, 12, 496-yard par four. That was the third hardest for the week. And then you add in some of these par threes, number 11 stands out. Uh, that's the fifth hardest hole on the course. It's a 237-yard par three. Um, and then 18, uh, again, 503. So you have another, yet another par four with that kind of length. And all it does is it it takes the club you have into the green. It expands it. Um, so it's a it's a much longer club in the green and if you're in the rough even though the rough is low now you lose your spin control and the ball can get off into some of these runoff areas 
and you that's really the part of the defense when you miss on the edges out here the ball will shoot away and we saw it with scotty scheffler on the back nine forgive me for forgetting what hole it was exactly but he he was in the right rough and he hit one over the green that takes a really hard bounce and if it weren't for a, a golf car there, which was already some 30 yards behind the green that, I mean, that yeah. kid could have gone 40 yards long. Yeah. So, you, you know, a, a miss by a couple of yards and it can turn into a 30 or 40 yard miss. And then you got some funky lies, some hairy lies. Um, what you saw a lot of chunked chips, uh, a lot of one handed finishes on pitch shots. So the areas around the greens were really difficult and, and the length is a huge factor in that. Jason Kokrak wins the Houston Open, which is something that was pretty unlikely, I would say, Saturday morning as he completed his second round. Remember, there was a three-hour delay early in this tournament. So just to recap what we were alluding to earlier, uh, and and Jason actually mentioned this in his post-round interview, Greg. He said, yeah, I came out Saturday morning. It was really cold, and I didn't really want to be out there, and it was really tough conditions. Well, uh, during that nine-hole stretch, I think he actually only played like seven holes on Saturday morning. Bogey, double, par, bogey, par, par, triple. A 41 on that nine, and you are thinking, He's out of it. It's over. It's been a good run for Jason Kokrak, but uh, this kind of wave and the way this all turned out, that that right there could have sunk him, should have sunk him. It sinks almost everybody. I mean, you all the work you've done leading into that is wiped away. It's it's just gone. And and you on a golf course where it's hard to make birdies, you look at that. At, I'm I'm now fighting this insurmountable uphill battle. And he just continued to plot along and make birdie after birdie after birdie. He made, he made 24 birdies for the week. <laughs> he made 24 birdies. And, and got to 10 under. <laughs> and, and right, only got to 10 under. So uh, Scotty Scheffler made 21 birdies. So he had three more birdies than anybody else. But after Scotty Scheffler, then that's why he's such a DFS darling. Um, after Scotty Scheffler, you're looking at Cam Smith and Martin Trainer. They're at 17 birdies, uh, 16 for Henley, Kramer, Hickok, and Andrew Putnam. So birdies were were difficult to come by, and Jason Kokrak made way more than anybody else. And that that's a big, that's a really big difference. You beat the, you make three more birdies than the second guy in the field, and you make seven more than the guy that's third. That's a it's a huge difference makes up for a lot of mistakes. Of course, um, it makes up for a triple, a double, a 41 on one side, but, um, that doesn't happen very often on the weekend, or I should, I say his final two rounds, because there was that weird, you know, seven holes he had to finish. He was four shots better. Jason Kokrock was four shots better than anybody else in the field over the final two rounds. He gained nearly 11 strokes on the field in that, uh, in those two rounds. But the moment on Sunday, Greg, um, it was really 13 because he was sitting, you know, on 13 T a couple of shots back. I'm, I'm scratching my head going, Oh my God, is Martin trainer actually is he going to do this is he actually going to win this golf tournament is scotty scheffler going to steal this and then jason kokrak said i'm all in birdies 13 14 15 and 16 which really changed the entire complexity of this event uh 13 and 14 were playing uh uh or excuse me 14 was playing very difficult the hardest hole of the day he stuffs one on 15 which is the short par three gets the job done at 16 that's the par five i mean this was it was clinical over the final six holes and there were a couple of things he did during this stretch that are is unique to Jason Kokrak, right? Um, well, unique to what you would expect his style to be. So 13, where this all starts, it's a 326-yard hole. I would expect him to hit driver and go for it. Maybe if, if he wasn't yes. quite comfortable, at least a three would. So right? I... I obviously am holding this, you know, 54 to one ticket. And when I saw him pull iron off 13, I was like, it's over. Like, this is not, this is not like Kokrak's long. It's this short par four. I just watched whatever trainer did. You know, I, I'm just like, it's, it's over. That is an excellent point. It was so not what I was expecting. 
And he also he lay he, by this time he had the lead, but he lays up on the on the par five, sixteenth uh, hole as well. And he did say there was a little bit of mud on the ball, but he converted both of those uncharacteristic layups on the par five. He had two sixty nine to the hole, and the hole was all the way in the back. So my guess would be he had two thirty to the front edge. Now you can't miss that right at all. If you're only going to play it that if you're only going to play it. And, but point is he has plenty of firepower to reach and decides to lay up and he, and he's able to convert. Um, but so that one, because of the the situation had changed, it was a lot less peculiar to me, but 13 is really peculiar. And you look at that hole and it, it's a uncharacteristic drivable par four. Um, and I know they move the tees up a little bit. It's not always drivable, but there it's not like there's daunting bunkers or a, a water hazard or penalty area looming anywhere. It's, it's just that fall off area. So on TV, it looks like it just looks like a field. It, it doesn't look like, is he going to go for it or is he not? We were talking about before the show, the, the drivable par four that stands out in everybody's mind, 10 at Riviera which maybe isn't fair compared to because it's one of the best holes on, on the PGA tour every year, but yeah. this one looks very different yet. You still see some guys get in trouble where they land on one of those side banks. It pitches away and makes it hard to make birdie. So he trusted his game plan and his wedge play and, and converted. But what he really trusted was his putter. He has to make a 12 foot putt there. He makes a 23 foot putt at the, at the next hole. And that's all of a sudden, what gets the balls roll? What gets the ball rolling? No pun intended. <laughs> that's good. the The big thing, and we we've documented this for however many months. It's what you hear constantly on the broadcast. It's what you see in the statistics. Jason Kokrak has been easily one of the most improved putters on the PGA Tour in the last twelve months or so, something like that. And the only thing we ever hear about that, Greg, is that he lengthened his putter. That's the only thing. He went to a 36-inch putter, whatever it is. That's the only thing we ever hear. And I wonder, I know all these guys are grinding hard and practicing on a lot of things, but like never in golf is there this magic switch that you can flip. And apparently Jason Kokrak has flipped said switch. Equipment is really funny in that way. It can make a huge change. Minor details can change everything. And it, it doesn't seem that way, but all of a sudden your posture changes a little bit. The way your arms hang changes a little bit. So it, it can change everything down to your grip pressure, but it really has a way of changing your eye line, changing the way that you see the putt. And so when you're, a, when you're looking at a putt in golf, you're looking at a line with your eyes, what we call stacked where the you you look down the line because you're standing on the side of the ball and your right eye for a right-handed player gets lower than your left. Well, everything else we look at in the world, our eyes are at the same height. And so the eye line, the perspective of the eye line can really change. The same happens with a sand wedge versus a driver. The way you aim those clubs, the, the perception can look very different because you're standing a little farther away with a driver and much closer with a sand wedge. Um, so point being a, a one inch change in putter length can mean everything. It can, it can literally change everything. And it's clear with Jason Kokrak that it has most of the time when guys get on the PGA tour, they've gone through a lot of this process and equipment change. Therefore, because they're really close to their fit when they get there, the equipment change doesn't have the dramatic improvement of a guy who's never finished inside the top 100 in strokes game putting all of a sudden is a top 10 putter and some weeks the very best that's a really big difference so yes equipment change is is a huge deal it can make a huge difference and then it changes the confidence but um but it's rare to see a jump that large from from a simple change one last thing on jason kokrek he went uh i don't know eight years without a victory right? He, from 2011 to 2019, no victories anywhere in the world. He has now won thrice, three times in his last 28 starts. Uh, first off, wow. Second of off, 
Second of all, how, how do like how do we reconcile what like what is Jason Kokrak moving forward? Is he a threat at major championships? Can he work his way into the top fifteen of the world? Is this a an anomaly? Just a a, a weird stretch of thirty starts? Like what are we actually dealing with right now? Uh, we're we're dealing with a real a threat is the wrong word, but a real force. <laughs> um, this is a, this is a guy. In Jason Kokrak, I sound like Chris Collins were saying that. Now here's this is a guy. guy. Here's a guy because he doesn't he doesn't know anybody's name or whatever. Here's a guy, number forty-seven. Here's a guy. Uh, now here's a guy who has a he has a number of the really important aspects to being a successful player on the PGA Tour. So he's got plenty of distance. Last year he's twenty-first in driving distance, nearly basically three hundred and eight yards. He's also uh, above the 60% mark, which if you're if you're one of those guys who was playing 20 years ago, you're not thinking that's a really good number. But at 308 yards, that's a really good number. So he's he's long, he's and he's got it in control. He hits a lot of greens. He was he was 24th last year in greens regulation. And when you add that kind of distance together with that kind of putter, you get it's a recipe for victory. You hit the ball okay with with your irons, but at that distance, there's a, a way to change the, this is what Bryson does. He changes the value of strokes gained approach. It, it's not that he takes away the importance, but the way that it's kept, the way that it's tracked appears different than the uh, eventual result. I'll give you a, for instance, Bryson hits it um, at the PGA championship on the six hole. This stands out to me so much. He, and he's got, he hits a pitching wedge out of the rough and it's able to carry the front bunker, land on the green and stop nearly right where it was. Tiger Woods hit it on the same hole in the same right rough, but he had to hit this punch five wood because of the lie for whatever reason. And his ball lands short of the green and rolls off the back. So Bryson didn't gain a lot in strokes gain approach on that particular hole because it was some 25 feet from the flag, but it, it lands right where it, it, it lands and ends up in basically the same place. So that's a huge advantage. And that's purely from club head speed and distance. And Jason Kokrak has that. And then when you, when you add that kind of putting to it, it makes it a lot easier to take advantage of that. You start hitting 70% of your greens and regulation. And that GIR number is not very important. What we've seen, the data doesn't, it doesn't really correlate greens and regulation with success. But if you're putting the ball the way Jason Kokrak is, now it means something. Because you have a lot more birdie opportunities and you're going to make a couple. And I think that's a there, there's a formula there where his game sets up to put a lot of pressure on the putter. And and it, um, he's definitely figured something out there. So w what, what are we going to get in major championships? I still think his short game needs a little bit of work. He was 174th last year, strokes gain around the green. And this year... He is slightly gaining, but he's a hundredth through just a couple of events. Um, really, this is only his third event, so not much to take from that. But I, I do think short game has to improve for him to be a real force in majors. But he's certainly a factor, and and everywhere he goes, every normal PGA Tour stop, he's um, his, his game has a way of fitting. Big congrats to Jason Kokrak. Big congrats to everybody out there holding a 50 to one or potentially longer ticket on Kokrak. But let's talk about Scotty Scheffler because he was our overnight leader, Greg. He was the favorite going into the final round and he was playing like it made birdies on three, five and eight. He had a seven footer on nine to get this thing to 10 under par. That's the score that Jason Kokrak eventually would win at. He missed the seven footer. And then immediately made back-to-back -back bogeys at 10 and 11. We talked about the shot on 14 in which he ended up making a bogey from the golf cart, which could have been much worse. Um, it, it was not Scotty's Sunday as he still looks to convert on the PGA Tour for the first time. It's disappointing. That that's all. That's that's what I leave with watching Scotty play. Because you hit it really close at nine, and this is now, okay, Scotty's going to win this tournament. And you miss it, like you mentioned. Now, it's an eight-foot putt. 
basically. That's no no gimme, but under that circumstance, you can really take control of the tournament and he misses it. But but the real key is the mo- is how the momentum changed. And all of a sudden there's a question about his putter because on 10, he's got a pretty straightforward opportunity to get up and down and he misses now a six footer. So now we got two in a row inside of eight feet for par that he's missed. Uh, And then you go to 11 and it's not an easy par three as ball rolls off that kind of side slope there, but he, he still leaves himself seven feet, two inches and misses it again. So you get three really, really close misses in a row. And, um, and it was disappointing. And then he's his back's against the wall. And at 12, he's fighting for a par. It's a it's a long and difficult two-putt for par, which he did nice on. But it kind of felt like a breath of fresh air. Then he hits it in the trees on 13. He's right under that tree, unable to get it, and, and has to scramble for par. Another opportunity to make a birdie on a, on a reachable par four. And he's working way too hard for par. So it, it became... Uh, it went from his tournament to uh, disappointment very quickly in a very short stretch. And so I guess we got to wait. We, we got to wait a little longer for Scotty to get his first win. Let me bring another voice into the conversation here. It is one Kyle Porter. KP. Hey, buddy. What up? What's going on? Uh, nothing. <laughs> Just uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all this. There's a lot of stuff going on. I heard you talking about Scheffler there. Mm-hmm. Are, is it concerning that he hasn't won after 66 events? I think that... You tell us. Is it well, concerning th- that he hasn't won after 66 events? Well, I think 20 years ago it wouldn't have been, right? I think that we are... Our, our, um, our period of great... Our grace period for guys who are starting out the careers uh, has gotten shorter, especially guys that stayed in college for a while. And I don't, I don't think it's concerning, especially because of what he did at the Ryder cup, taking down Rom and like, it, that's like a huge moment. So it's not like a, the moment's too big for him type thing, but he's, he's being tied know. to those other guys, right? He's being tied to the Victor Hovland's, the Colin Moore Cowboys, the Matt Wolf's, all these guys who are having like immediate success out on the PGA tour, but I would actually argue. So I didn't know where you were going with the 20 year years ago thing. I would, I was going to jump in and be like, no, you're wrong. Uh, but like golf is so deep now. And like so many guys can win that I'm, I'm not all that concerned about this at all. Like I, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal at all. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that he plays well at the harder courses, a place like this, but not just this. I mean, look at look at his his major record is really under the radar. Good. I mean, it's awesome. I think he's got just off the top of my head six top twenties in his last nine starts or something like that at major championships. Um, so I don't know. I I mean, I I don't I I don't think it's a problem, but I think the question of whether it is 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 a is a fair one. The only reason it becomes a problem, Greg, is because we do this thing and we've done it forever, which is the best player to never win. That's always been a thing, right? And or or best player to never win a major, and it was Sergio, and it was Phil, and it was whatever. And then, the, like someone has to fill the shoes of that. Now Abe Answer is off the list. Scotty's been kind of near the top, and I think most people say Scotty's the best player in the world who's not, who does not have a PGA Tour win. So it's the only reason we don't we talk about him not winning. If you want to talk about the money list or FedEx cup points or major championships. Like it's got a great little resume that he's building already a member of the Ryder cup. But as we do, he's the best player in the world who hasn't won. And look, part of this is at his age, what is he? 26. Yeah. Maybe even younger. 25, 25 years, 26 in June. So I'm not sure that a 25 year old belongs in that category. Um, although I understand there's been a lot of success out of the youth just because you haven't won. That doesn't mean that you're not going, I mean, we could still have a hall of fame career here, but who's, who's, in, the, who's in the category. Ooh. So glad you asked this. I was going to ask that. Right? <laughs> go ahead, Greg. Who else is, who else is here? Like, is it, is it, is it a thing where it's like the, let's go back to the best to not win a major. Do you have to, cause I think we're asking two different questions. Like if in May you would have said, who's the best player without a major, uh, 
somebody might have said like Matt Kuchar, right? But I would have said John Rom. And but that's two different questions. One is best player without a major, and one is uh, most accomplished without a major. And so maybe that's what you're referencing. Right. Here. Yeah, and and that's a a big difference. Is Scotty Scheffler the best player without a win? He could be. Um, and again, Colin Morikawa could have been when he first came out before his first win. It, it doesn't. It, it. The question is, who's the best guy who doesn't have a win? And it, when you're 25 years old, it's not a bad thing to be on that list. If you're 35 years old and you're on that list, it may be a bad thing. So who's the who's the best player? That's not necessarily saying who's the mo- is it the most surprising that he's never won. Most I mean, surprising's good. I think it's Fleet. I think it's Fleetwood. That's surprising. I don't think it's Fleetwood. I think it's Fitzpatrick. Uh, I think Fleetwood's better than Fitzpatrick. I do not think Fleetwood is remotely close to Fitzpatrick. Well, well like based on what? <laughs> <laughs> the last year, uh, the last two now, years. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. And, and I'm and I'm I'm probably like taking that like lit that I'm like widening the lens there, widening the time frame. So if you, yeah, last two years, I, I, that's a good argument. Well, I guess, I guess. Yeah. If you look at it, like who are you most surprised hasn't won yet? I think the answer is Fleetwood. If you're like, who's the best player right now who doesn't have a win? It, uh, it's probably Fitzpatrick Zalatoris will get in the conversation, but it is, it is like a gift and a curse, right? Nobody. Cause you have to be good enough to should have won. Right. Like that, like no one's like, uh, can't believe Denny McCarthy hasn't won yet or can't believe what, you know what I mean? <laughs> Martin like, trainer. Sorry, Denny. Yes. Mar- like, it's just like, he has one. So it's a gift and a curse. Yeah. He almost <laughs> thought he was going to win this one too. <laughs> so weird. I guess that's the point is when you're looking at Will Zalatoris, he's Will Zalatoris doesn't have the moments where you thought he was going to win. So it doesn't look like a problem. It just, it, you look at the record and it's, T15, T8, oh, a T second, a, a solo second at the Masters. This is amazing. It, it doesn't look like there's a problem when Will gets in contention. Scotty, on the other hand, has put himself in contention a little more. And he's he's had real opportunities where when you're watching with the eye test, you're saying, okay, Scotty Scheffler should win this tournament. And, and he hasn't. And it's been these issues like the the putts inside of 10 feet all of a sudden don't go in. Maybe that's just mathematics. Maybe that becomes a, a little bit of a problem. Maybe it's just a, a hurdle for him to jump. So we'll see, but there has to be a turning point for him. And there, there will be at one point where he faces this putt. I don't know when, I don't know if it's going to happen next week or in the future, but he's going to have a putt that is a tipping point putt. And, and one day I, I do believe they'll make it and go on to win. And, and this will this will all be behind it. Well, I think there's a little bit of the conversation of. Uh, so I saw somebody on Twitter. Talk, I can't remember who it might have been. Ben Coley uh, retweeting somebody, but talking about how like even some. And I know you guys already talked about Kokrak, but Kokrak has been a pretty good player for a long time. But wins are not linear. Right. And this is where I think the value of, of strokes gain comes into play of like, okay, who are the best guys? I can't, I just can't look at wins. There's so, it's like looking at touchdowns for the best fantasy football receivers. They're, they're, it's just not a linear thing. It doesn't, it doesn't nice. work like that, you know? And um, so I look at somebody like Kokrak who wins and now he's been putting better. So there's improvement to his game, but. Tita Green, he's basically the same guy for the last nine years, and then he wins three in 28 events. Same thing with Patrick Cantlay, honestly. So it's like Cantlay was supposed to win at the clip that he has won at right now, but it took until you have these these bunched up four wins at the at you know in 2021 or 2020, 2021 to get him back on that sort of trajectory. So it's not linear and Scheffler might win three times next May. I, I don't, I have no idea. And I think that, I think that part of it matters to the conversation. While we're going down the narrative media induced conversations, let's continue here because if Scotty Scheffler would have won on Sunday, we would have also heard, Oh my gosh, four different guys from the Ryder cup have won since the Ryder cup. And we also heard that 
not necessarily win, but like, you know, oh, Sung JM's this, uh, you know, uh, gets a huge boost after the President's Cup. Abraham Answer gets this big boost. And Greg, I go back and forth on this of like, did that because the 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 implication is this event has made them a better player, which maybe it might just be that they're on the team and in this event because they're really good players. And when they go <laughs> back to the PGA tour or they go back to the European tour, they're contending and competing. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Well, this year, I think there's two ways to look at this. First, the guys that strike me are the ones who have won who didn't make the Ryder cup team and cited it as a source of inspiration. Right. So that, that's all of a sudden a drive and you have a Max Homa in there and a Sam Burns and, and a Billy Horschel, Billy Horschel, um, perhaps Danny Willett, maybe Danny Willett looks at that Ryder cup team and says, okay, we need help. I got to get my game in shape, be a part of that. Thomas Peters says, Go maybe he says, Hey, correct. Maybe. maybe should have been on the team. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe there's also the chance that we're too far removed. Is that the has he been grinding ever since he didn't get on the Ryder Cup team? I don't know the answer to that, but there's a good chance. Uh, but then for the guys that are on the Ryder Cup team, it's one thing when John Rahm goes out and wins right after a Ryder Cup. Not that that happened, but hypothetically, okay, John Rahm's on that team and he's a part of the right. He's the best player in the world. So yeah, of course he's going to, he's going to win and go do great things. If Dustin Johnson wins right after a Ryder cup, it's kind of the same deal. But if Scotty Scheffler were to win, that's a little bit of a different, he didn't win before he gets on the team as a captain pick. And, and now all of a sudden he wins. Did he learn something from these guys coming up? And that's what we've seen in the past where, Players, young players, have gotten the nod for the Ryder Cup team, and they've gotten paired with a veteran who shows them something because there's a little bit of a closer relationship, and they they see the way uh, they they see the way a veteran prepares, and they learn something new, and all of a sudden, the next year they win a major. Now, those stories I, I do believe in, but it, it depends on how they got on that Ryder Cup team. And what they did before that, some guys have won. They've done it all, and they just keep doing it all. And other guys, there, there's a learning curve that they have to jump. Speaking of uh, statistical things that don't make any sense, Martin Trainer entered the week. Do you want to know, guess his world rank? Guess his world rank before the week started. One thousand three hundred and ten. Oh man, that's a really good guess, Kyle. Okay, um, 1,325. No, it's 1,310. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, I looked it up. Oh, I just man. looked it up. Well, he entered the week 1,310. I'm prepping for trivia in December with Greg. <laughs> this, is, right. this is what you have to do. You should get ready. It's true. Keeping you sharp all year long. Um, we have seen this kind of before. So long story short, this is very well documented this 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 week. Uh, Martin Trainer won uh, the Puerto Rico Open in 2019 and then basically missed, I don't know what the exact number, 42 of his next 50 cuts. Uh, I mean, he just missed e everything, everything. Um, and I think Michael Kim, Michael Kim did this too, right? He won and then he missed like 40 cuts in a row. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy which, which is, which is, I mean, listen, like good, good for him, right? Like this is the last year of his, uh, exemption. Uh, he needs to get to, I think the numbers around 450 FedEx points the, he got like 105 today. So that's good going into 2022, but also like if you dig into the, and this is why strokes gain matters. Like he had the putting week of his life. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't hit the ball very well which is not surprising for the 1,310th ranked player in the world. Um, and so he has, he has, you know, essentially the, the putting week of his life. He made four, I think I looked at it, it was four putts over 25 feet, which that just doesn't happen. And still couldn't like, he needed, he really honestly like needed to get a, a, a solo second or third out of that 
to for somebody like him have a, have a chance to earn his card this year to finish in the top 125 or whatever. I think we lose we talk about wins and losses a ton, but for somebody like him to finish, I was thinking about that as he was as he was finishing his round to finish third this week, solo third would have been monumental. To finish solo second and get 300 FedEx Cup points, we can joke about FedEx Cup points. It's a big deal to to Martin Trainer, you know. And it was just a bummer that he fin- what did he finish five five or something maybe two bogeys in his last three yeah. to kind of fall back there. Extremely disappointing because he was at. Go ahead, go ahead, Rick. Let me just let me just add this little thing because Kyle is referencing the seven point seven strokes he gained putting this week. By far the best week of his career. His previous best was four point eight. So uh, you know, un- unlikely to happen again, which is which is why you kind of want to take advantage of these weeks. And again, that's really the thing that it's the thing that carried him. I mean, he did, he, he had some nice um, ball striking rounds as well, but those are few and far between the guy played 28 events last year on the PGA tour. He had six rounds in the sixties. That's it. That's That's crazy. This year he's had two rounds in the sixties before this tournament. So I'm a big guy. I miss cuts can be, there's a really fine line between missing the cut and and contending for winning. It's it, there's a turning point. Sports psychologists, if you talk to them, they'll say it's two shots in a round that make the difference. But when you look at Martin Trainer's scores, it's it's not it's not two shots. It's the <laughs> it's the total game. I mean, it's seventy fours and seventy threes are are the norm, and that's concerning. So it, it was a really big week for him, but it, it was disappointing that it ended up that way. So what happens, Greg? Like, like how how does this week happen? You just roll the scorching hot putter of your life, and that gets you good enough to finish T5? I mean, is there any reason to think this could be a catalyst week? Or based on the previous two years' worth of data and information and results that we have, that that this will be probably the outlier for Martin Schreiner. Uh Well, I, I look at this as the outlier, right? He gains, which is so easy to say. So I'm not trying to pile on here, but yeah, if you look at what happened beyond just the putting, he finished fourth for the week in strokes and putting. He gained every single day. Um, but the thing that the, the thing he was able to pair that with was he had these two rounds. The first two rounds, he was able to gain approaching the green and off the tee. I mean, he was second. He gained three strokes approaching the green in round two. It's 16 of 18 greens. And and that kind of that kind of play doesn't always happen. So how does this happen? It's a comfort with the golf course. It's the need not to go in- incredibly low. We are sitting at seven under par and you're right in the thick of things. You're right there in the mix in contention on the first page of the leaderboard. Within three of the lead, I mean, you're right there and, and you've, you're only at seven under par. So when scores get closer to par, it brings a lot of guys back in the mix. That's what we saw at the PGA Championship this year. Ricky Fowler, who I know has turned it around now, but it, it wasn't in good form um, back in May. And you had Podrick Harrington come and tied fourth at the PGA. And Phil Mickelson won because scores aren't that low. And so there seems to be this kind of uh, hot spot. And this has to do with not just the scoring, but also the golf course where, where the really, the best players perform the best, but when, when it's really hard and it's really close to, uh, you know, the, the winning score is closer to par. And when it's really easy and there's not a lot of penalty for miss that brings the whole field back in the mix. So I, I think there's a combination of a lot of things here, but I don't see a lot that, says this is a catalyst for Martin Trainer. So real quick, I wanted to ask, because I was thinking about this. Do you think it's like, let's say you, so I was comparing um, like this course, which I think is, is well, how do I want to do this? There's so many different ways to do this. I guess, I'll say this, Greg. Do, do you think it's easier to come from behind uh, from, from let's say you're, you're 10 back after, the second round so pretty deep like i guess it's sort of where co-crack was at he wasn't 10 back but he was pretty far back you think it's easier to come from behind on a course where the scoring variance is wider or narrower wider um and the reason is um well 
so I think <laughs> we're, it, we're, we're witnessing the wheels turning question. in Greg's brain it, right now. <laughs> well, I, I really go back and forth on this, and that's why I ask because I, I surely there's a statistical answer, but the problem is you've got a bunch of different you got a lot of variables in that. Okay, well, how many guys are in front of you? Like there, there's a there's a ton of different things going on there. But I I think just in a reductive way, which one do you think is easier? I I think it's when there's not a, when it's bunched when the score is bunched and here's why on Saturday morning, especially at tough venues, you look at a place, I, I think back to the BMW championship uh, um, where John Rahm and DJ were in a playoff and John Rahm goes out early on Saturday morning. And now he's not that far off the lead, but there's a lot of guys between him and the lead. So his tee time is really early and the golf course is as easy as it's going to play, and it gets harder and harder and harder throughout the day. So he gets that early tee time. He's not that many strokes back, and he goes out and shoots four under par, and all of a sudden he's everybody's falling back to him. So it works in this kind of in this funnel, and now you have the ability to make up a ton of shots without making up a ton of shots on your own ball. Where when the scores are at twenty five under par, and <clears throat> the afternoon doesn't get a lot harder. And you can make a ton of birdies. Well, you go shoot sixty-two, and the afternoon guy shoots sixty-five. Yeah. And so there's just there's not a lot of ground to make up. Where when there's seventy-four out there on the course for the guys that are playing really well, but in the morning time there's sixty-six out there. You can start making up six, eight shots rather than three. So difficulty and and the bunchedness, if that's a word. But wouldn't uh, wouldn't believe- wouldn't an easier course create more? Uh, That's what I'm thinking. But I, I, I think I think I still want bunched, right? So hold on. So if, if you have a course that is... <laughs> we could talk about this for like an hour. <laughs> if you have a course that is very, very easy or or just kind of a better way to look at it is a course is very, very volatile. There's 62s out there and there's 76s out there. It is more likely that you shoot one of the outliers because there's a lot of volatility maybe there's a lot of small margins and you can go out and shoot a 60 but at the same time everyone else is kind of more likely to have a volatile round as well if the scores are bunched and everybody's between 68 and 72 it will be harder for you to have an extreme outlier round but if you do you'll be making up significantly more on the field there's probably a calculation for this, but I, I, I think, I think you want the numbers, but I, I, especially if you're trying to get through, here's what it has to be. It has to be how many guys are between you and the top because, because the more people between you at the top and the more volatile the results are, or, or the more bunch they are, we would know the range of outcomes for the players ahead of you. So that that's the that's the X. X is how many players are in front of you. That's what you need to figure out. That's I've gone back and be here. I, yeah, I agree. I've gone back and forth on this like 10 times and I still don't know which one I actually believe. I <laughs> right. Because like I even thought about it as it relates to last year or to, I guess, uh, earlier this year's U.S. Open, because it was it was uh, in terms of U.S. Opens, it was much narrow. It was a narrower variance. It wasn't like the the huge you know variance that we see at U.S. Opens. It was it was narrower than that. Um, and that seemed like it, it created an opportunity for somebody to kind of come from deeper back, but maybe not because it was, it was almost impossible to go out and shoot 60. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, the, I, I wish somebody would, um, maybe I should do this. It, it, there, there, there should be some sort of like mathematical way to figure this out. Um, although with as many variables as there are, maybe it's, maybe it's just impossible. Maybe you can't do it. My, my belief on it is without the, without having the numbers is you have to have the, the, the key is what's that high range and what's the late scoring average. If, if it's easy for the leaders and you got late par fives and things like that, then the risk of them shooting, you know, coming back to you goes down. And so it becomes harder to come back and you got to get now when you're charging late and you're on 15 and you've tied the lead, but the leaders are on three to, I mean, they're going to blow by and they're not going to look back. The number you post doesn't become scary. 
but the number you post becomes scary when pars are good and you have to take on substantial risk to make birdies. Now you have this, this thought in your mind of, should I go for this pin? I know I'm one back. I got 11 holes left. I'm one back and that's posted. So is this the time or not? And, and that's where I think you really get the, the good opportunity when, when there is that high number um, that's out there. Which goes to your point of variance, Rick. You got to have the the um, the volatility or variance in the scores. And honestly, like that's not dissimilar from what Kokrak did this weekend, right? Correct. Where very similar. It seems like the there's a pretty why. I mean, you can go shoot sixty two on Friday. Scheffler did, and then there's seventy eights out there, you know. And and Kokrak shot a forty one on a nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he did do that. But he's from T to Green on the weekend. He was good, and he got rewarded for that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I could be talked into anything with that, but I, I just thought it was something interesting to think about as it relates to not just this week, but going forward and majors and all that. Uh, quickly on Matthew Wolf, who bogeyed 16 and 18 to finish his Sunday at two over 72. A tie for 11th is his final finishing position. But, Greg, I think that uh, there is nothing but optimism for Matthew Wolf, who has started his uh, season here. T11, T5, runner-up, T17. I, I mean, this is we're, – we're seeing glimpses of greatness. He's done some things that I shake my head at, and I, I say, oh, oh, that's not a red flag, it's a yellow flag. But all in all, this, this could not have probably been a better four starts for him. I love what I saw with the short game this week. And that looks to be much improved today. Today, maybe not great, but he finished the week second strokes gain around the green. Uh, I, and I think that's a really big area for him to improve on. Um, but here's the concern with Matthew Wolf. And I don't know what's going on with if he's back with his mental health, if this is if he's back only because he's playing well, kind of like the Bubba Watson thing where if I'm playing well, I'm happy. If I'm not, I'm not. But um, what we always worried about when he first started was not the ceiling, not how good he was, not how much talent he has, but is there a lot of inconsistency in his game? So are we seeing, is this four-week stretch, this four-week start just a hot streak, or is this becoming more baseline? And it's going to be really fun if this is baseline. If he's figured something out mentally, and improved the short game a little bit, that, that combination could be dangerous. But I, I think we still, the jury's still out on Matthew Wolf because these four starts aren't surprising to me. What will be surprising is if this can last for 10 starts. Not that it has to be all 10, but, you know, 18 of 20 starts are top 15s. Now that's something, okay, this guy's found some consistency. Something's changed. I'm not ready to say that with just four weeks, but it's great play. Yeah, and I think... I mean, his stock going into 2022 is as high as it's been since the end of last year, right? And so I think that, uh, I think that's exciting. You know, as somebody who is one of the more exciting players on tour, especially exciting young guys, you go into 2022 thinking the same thing you went into 2021 thinking, which is he could win a major, he could win multiple times, he could be on a president's cup team. And so I'm glad that we're back to like, if you would have said two months ago, is any of that feasible? I would have said, no, no, it's not. It's, it wasn't. So I'm glad for this little run in the fall. And I agree with Greg that you, you have to, especially with the things that he struggled with, you have to do it for a, a, a longer period of time, but at least there's like some good optimism and hope for people that, uh, enjoy Matthew Wolf and enjoy exciting golf going into next year. Yeah, think about our the way that we were thinking about Matthew Wolf after he went runner up at the U.S. Open at Wingsfoot and then runner up in a playoff at Shriners. That moment compared to the low of, I guess the pseudo DQ at the Masters, where I think he was he missed the cut and he didn't sign his card, so they DQ'd him. It's not like he was playing on the weekend anyway, but like the the low of that and then taking the time off. So good to see that uh, he is trending in the right direction. Game is always much better when he is playing well. Gentlemen, we've got to do our odds and ends. We've got to recap our best bets. And there has been some movement in the one and done. 
more on that. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. Best bets. We did pretty good here. Um, I'm, I had Sung J.M. over Camp Smith. That's showing a push in the outline, but I think I lost that. Because I believe Camp Smith birdied his last two. We will confirm that, but I'm pretty sure I lost that. KP, you did go with Matthew Wolf uh, along with Coach over Tony Finau, so you were able to wipe the the the, the coach stink off of this wager and <laughs> and and find yourself a winner. What did what did I didn't even see what Finau did? He uh, missed the cut. There you go. He didn't have a he didn't have a very good speaking of post rider cup. He went like T forty five, T forty five MC, I think. Uh yeah, Wolf's been been playing great. So I'm I'm I actually look at it more like I kind of dragged coach along here. I kind of pulled him into like the, the winner's circle. Um and yeah, didn't let him didn't let him pull bring me down. So Good for you. Jacob is working so hard to give me this win right now. So he had in the outline as a push. Then he just typed in the chat, confirmed winner. And then two seconds later, loser. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate you trying to get me this, this victory. Sung JM did uh, lose to Cam Smith. Smith birdied his last two. Mark went with Aaron Wise over Terrell Hatton. That was pretty easy as well because Hatton uh, also missed the cut. Greg. You took you took one of the Kepkas, and it didn't matter which of the Kepkas you took. Uh, you had Kepka over Hatton and Gooch. Hatton also missed the cut. Gooch did indeed make the weekend, but did not play well after the opening uh, opening round. Yeah, very disappointing. And and it, this one was all there for the taking. It just it hinged on Kepka's yeah. game, which yeah. is so. I mean, you're talking about a matchup. The guy you pick to win, you you hope is going to play well. But it it wouldn't have taken a lot for Kepka to beat. Taylor Gooch um, Hatton didn't seem to be in any resemblance of form. Although watching this, watching this golf course, the way it played, I, I kind of feel like Hatton would be a good fit here, even though it didn't go anywhere close to being well, but anyway, uh, Kepka, I, I guess um, my read on all the work he's done on the range was on the wrong side. And he, I, it looks now like he's putting in all this effort because he's struggling and yeah. not because he just found a passion. I was worried about that. Like if yeah. it, like my number one question when Brooks says he's been grinding on the range is why are you telling us this? Your whole yeah. your whole shtick is like I'm cool, I don't need to practice, I show up, I dominate. Are you telling like now I'm 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 worried now. <laughs> like that scares me. I wish he was just like walking into this place like haven't touched my club in 6 weeks. Here we go. You know you know how you you know how you can find like um, but like, like on, if you, if you Google something about, um, let's say anything. the effects of the effects of wine on, on your body, you can find anything be like, yeah. oh, well, you should drink six glasses a day. You should drink, <laughs> you should never drink it. You should, you, I mean, anything. And I feel like that's yeah. what that, Kepka is like a walking Google search. Like he just says <laughs> anything and it's all contradictory. It, 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 and so it no. renders like it renders what he actually says meaningless. <laughs> it's the opposite. It's we're the Google search. We hear what we want to hear out of Brooks Kepka when he says something. Sure. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. Because I, I was looking at the, okay, here's a guy, Chris Collinsworth again. Here's a guy who was struggling. <laughs> he was really struggling. And all of a sudden he, he puts some work in 
And he's done this in the past when he plays a week, doesn't go great. The next week, usually a major, goes great. He can figure things out quickly because I know that he keeps it very simple, which I love. Uh, and, and it makes for quick turnarounds. But so that was my read on it. And I was clearly on the wrong side. Um, he's got some work to do. He is doing it. Um, maybe I was just early on it. But here nor there, we got to take the L on this one. Yes, we did pretty well as a group, however. So we will take it now. One and done. We actually, first of all, we all made money. And we had a few with a couple hundred thousand. So let me work my way up here. Oh, oh boy. Mm. Oh boy. Kyle, I have to start with you. Yeah. Uh, you are now at 543,927. You had Taylor Gooch. This was a rear, a weird week. That's hard to say for Gooch who was out like a madman in the opening round. And then over his final three rounds, he was basically the worst player in the field. He lost nearly eight strokes to the field over the final three lost across the board. I don't care if he loses five strokes putting, but didn't strike it all that well. Are there, are there any takeaways or is this just a weird week where, you know, you had to finish one of his rounds on another morning and just like kind of stuff that messes you up? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I still like the pick, even though he finished what 60th. I, 60th. I thought it was like, I liked that nobody else took him. I love the way he was playing. The first round was great. I mean, him and him and Russell Henley are tied for first during the first round. And I'm like, Oh, my sleeper, my <laughs> one and done. This is, this is lights out. This is, you know, trifecta here and he just I, I mean I, I was looking today because I didn't see I didn't see what he did on like Friday or so I was like did he get cut like what is what is going on here uh after the 65 on Thursday so I'm bummed about it but I, I don't think I would change like I still think based on everything that I knew on Thursday it was it was a solid pick yeah, 16,875 for 60th place. Sia Najad went with Sam Burns. Uh, three of us had Sam Burns. Mark, myself, and Sia. We all got 227,813, so Sia moves to 622,000. Now there's a big gap to coach, which I believe – hold on, let me do a little quick math here. Yes, okay. Greg, you have surpassed coach. The coach is at 2.1 million. He had Matthew Wolf. Uh, a couple bogeys down the stretch dropped him for 166,875. Greg, you had Russell Henley, T7, 227,000. You are now back into fourth place ahead of coach. Um, didn't make up a ton of ground this week. I was kind of hoping for a better, but look, Henley was in the mix this entire week. He gets the same dollar amount as Sam Burns, and I don't lose Sam Burns. So, I look at that as a win for me, um, and I'm I'm very pleased. I just was looking at the start of the day like he might be able to make up a little more ground on Mark, um, but it, look, I'm in, I'm in the mix. I'm happy with it. Yeah. So Mark and I also got the 227 thousand from Sam Burns, who made double on 18 to drop to T7. I moved to 2.5 million. Mark stays clear of the pack at 4.4. But the big winner, get in here, Jacob. The big winner. Of the week with a birdie on 18 after after this thing was over, Scotty Scheffler makes birdie on 18 to get into a tie for second, 667,000. You are just a hair shy, Jacob, of 3 million. And we were talking about that putt. It was worth like 200 grand, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, uh, but it ended up being a $400,000 swing if you, if you consider what you guys ended up making versus what Scotty Scheffler ended up making. So I'm glad to see that uh, despite Scotty not being able to make any birdie putts whenever it actually mattered today uh, and, and the equivalent of golf junk time to get, to get into a T2, he could uh, easily swing in an 11 foot birdie putt. It's like, it was like Baylor over OU, just that extra field goal. Yeah. Everybody's, I mean, everybody's okay. pissed. That was strategic, right? Don't, th don't they yeah. need those three points? Well, it was strategic for producer Jacob as well because he needs the money at the end of the year. Yeah, so I don't, you know, I, I, I'm guessing the money was at the top of mind for Scotty as well there. I don't know how I feel about the pick. I mean, I guess I guess it was the right call. Um, yeah, you're thrilled, I think. I think I'm thrilled. I feel like, I feel disappointed though still. I mean, I'm, I think I'm out on Scotty Scheffler, so I'm glad I burned him here. So that means he's wow. going to Wow, okay. What, why? I I think it's what we were talking about earlier. The guy just doesn't win. 
He's going to be, I mean, you know, is he going to be like Jason Kokrak where, you know, one of these days, 10 years from now, he starts winning? I don't know. I have bad opinions. I hope he wins before 10 years from now. That'd be well, tough. I mean, be you tough know, for they'll probably be playing Bermuda. He could swing over there at some point. When when they add like 90 more events to the schedule, and we have like 150 event season. Yes. Every week is an opposite field. <laughs> and someone wins like 12 times a year. That's going to be awesome. Um, $666,500 for Scotty Scheffler. So here we go. Mark's at 4.4. Jacob at 2.9. Rick at 2.5. Greg at 2.16. Coach at 2.15. C at 622,000. Kyle at 543,000. One more event here coming up, the RSM Classic. I don't know if we'll do the Hero World Challenge. Probably. I don't know. Might as well throw it in there. They give away money for it. Um, but before we put a bow on the Houston Open, gentlemen, any final thoughts? I, I missed the Kokrak thing, but I compared Kokrak to Jimmy Walker in my uh, in my piece after, after the tournament. Like mid-30s resurgence, could win a major, great driver of the ball. Uh, I don't know. That was just kind of my one of my takeaways from today. Zero out of 10 level of concern on Brooks Kepka with zero being not concerned at all and 10 smashing the panic button. I'm like a one. one. I mean, I, yeah, I just don't. Hmm. Well, a, April's a long way away. <laughs> Did you see they gave away Brooks Kepka bobbleheads on Sunday, and he was. I saw around. you tried to. I saw you tried to bribe people on I'm Twitter. Still try, I'm one. still trying to broker one. If there is a Brooks Kepka Houston Open bobblehead out there, uh, I'll pay the shipping and a couple of beers. Uh, that's got to make its way to my to my back shelf over here. You can go next to my Vince bobblehead right there. There you go. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not. I'm not worried either. But I feel like you might have said this at some point, Kyle, where it was like. Is there a 1% chance that Brooks is Patty Harrington, which is you won multiple majors in a very, very short period of time. And then what? It's Jason. Day, right? still I mean, he's still contending consistently in majors. He did last year. Set a Jason, chance to win. Jason day had this very, and this is what, this is, this is where it gets concerning with guys that are, they get hurt a lot. I mean, Brooks has had like the knee and the wrist and the ankle and the just all this stuff. The hip and the hip. He was crawling up the green on 13 at Augusta National. Like he, it's there's just a lot of stuff there. A lot of a lot of barnacles, right? This this is the other problem, and I completely agree about the injury thing. This is the other problem. Greg's absolutely right. He had three top sixes in majors last year, but those are complete. I forgot about them because he made it all about winning majors. He did this to himself. He made it all about him winning majors. So you can't give him credit for any other non-major win. And if he doesn't win a major, now it's like, what are you doing? He should, he created this expectation, which I have fallen into and forgot about his three times. This is, this is sick, by the way. It's disgusting. There's not a lot of concern for me when I look at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so he, so he goes, if you go back to end of, so 2016 ball to stroll. No, go oh. back before that. go, 2015, the Open was at St. Andrews. His worst finish is T39 at the 18 Open at Burt. No, that was at uh, Carnoustie. Carnoustie. Yeah. 2020 PGA at Harding Park. And then he was cut at the Masters this year. Masters is a little fake news because he was on one leg. And that just, I don't know. He, he shouldn't have played. played. Yeah. But also the T29, he was in contention. Going, I mean, that's he what was he in like he the third to last pairing, right? Who who else on this board has any? I mean, what do they got? One. He's played thirty majors and has top ten over half of them. Sixteen of them. That's absurd. Top five in. I mean, he. I was going back yeah. through some tweets from earlier this year, and Justin Ray said that he had a higher top t top five percentage at majors than Tiger. Oh my god. I'm nowhere near the panic button. I'm just yeah, disappointed I'll, in the best bet result. <laughs> he should just not. He should just only play in the majors and the players and the Ryder Cup. Just don't even play at the other stuff. 
He's playing. Get, get he's, playing Bryson. he's playing Bryson. He's playing Bryson in a couple of weeks. How's that going to go? That's in uh, one, not next week. It's the week after. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be goofy. I think it's really hard with two guys. I mean, Phil and Tiger, what, two, two, was that three years ago when they played on Thanksgiving? It's just really hard to do with two guys, and especially with two guys who are just kind of awkward to begin with. Um, Hopefully they I, lean on the broadcasting team a little yeah, more. Yeah, Phil will be out there. Phil Charles. will, yeah, yeah. The other thing, okay, uh, is there another top 10 athlete in any other sport who is like a legitimate YouTube content creator like Brooks, like uh, Bryson DeChambeau is Bryson is a legitimate like YouTuber now and he releases videos and he's got like 150,000 subscribers. Like, is there any other athlete who does this? I mean, I kind of commend it for giving us the, the inside look. That's a good question. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, I think that's like a world uh, sort of taken up by like uh, disc golf people and like uh, skateboarders. Like, I mean, there are athletes in other sports, just not in any sports that are higher up on the food chain. There are there are athletes who have to have a YouTube presence. Right. Um, Kyle Berkshire for the long drive kind of has to because that's there's not enough prize purses and all that stuff. But like. Bryson doesn't have to have 203,000 subscribers on YouTube, doesn't have to be showing his prototype clubs or his chipping secrets or his speed training or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's uh it's kind of fascinating. It is, and I think it's I don't know. We don't <laughs> We, we don't, don't have, have the energy for a, yeah, for a Bryson, I, I, a mental Bryson. Well, I, I want to go down the path of like, it's a little bit of his, like he, he wants to be loved and that's sort of like the, the one of the outlets for that. But I don't want to get into like that whole deal again. Cause it's just, we could talk forever about it. Bryson, I tip my cap to you, sir, on the content creation side. Uh, and I guess the golf side of it too. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty good at golf too. That'll do it. Uh, let me be, give a big thanks to producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes that right there. It's Greg Ducharme. You can find him on Twitter at the real GFD Kyle Porter, who you can find at Kyle Porter CBS. You can find me at Rick run good. This has been the first cut and we'll catch you next time. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.